This episode of the Wound Masterclass podcast is episode 10 in our series and it's one size does not fit all. Talking a little bit about personalised wound treatment and joining us we've got Professor Georgina Gethin and Miss Terry Swanson. Uh, so our experts are joining us from Ireland and Australia today and we're going to have a really in-depth discussion about how important it is to personalise wound treatment to the individualised patient. And welcome to our speakers. Thank you. Hello. I'm very excited to be talking about one of my favourite topics. Hi, everybody, and delighted to be here. And like Terry, excited to be talking about all of this. In this episode of the podcast, One Size Does Not Fit All, uh, Georgina Gethin is going to talk to us about the assessment of the wound and really how to do that accurately in selecting the appropriate wound bed assessment and preparation technique. We also hope to gain a comprehensive understanding of the factors influencing wound healing success and patient prognosis. And really talking about biofilm management and why that's such a critical factor for healing and learning really about the holistic approach to wound healing, looking at the patient um, as a continuum of other factors surrounding that patient's environment and comorbidities and social factors as well. Georgina is going to also address the fundamentals of wound bed assessment, preparation, biofilm management and establishing the importance for wound healing. We'll talk about the classification of debridement techniques, practical tips and the clinical techniques of optimization of the wound bed. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Uh, not sure where you are in the world listening to this. And I really want to thank Wound Masterclass for putting this on and for the honour of being invited to present to all of you. And it's a great pleasure, I suppose, and privilege to be looking at the area of wound assessment. But I was also charged with looking also at the issue of person-centred care and then linking this to wound assessment. So it's quite a, a difficult challenge. But I hope that through the next 30 minutes or so, you'll be able to follow along with me and uh, we will be able to explore this issue in great detail. My name is Georgina Gethin. I'm Professor in Nursing and Midwifery in School of Nursing and Midwifery in University of Galway in Ireland. And I will be doing the first part of the session and follow that afterwards by my uh, colleague, uh, Terry Swanson. So I suppose, what are we trying to look at here? What is it that we are interested in? And I would argue that if we look at the issue of quality in healthcare, within that there is person-centered care. Within that, in relation to wounds, we have patient assessment followed by wound assessment. And I hope I'll be able to show you how wound assessment reflects overall quality in healthcare. So what is quality in healthcare? In the US, the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality have identified six domains that they consider are indicators of healthcare quality. Many of these you will know, but imagine if you change your viewpoint to look at them from the lens of wound care. We should be providing care that is safe and avoiding harm to, pay, to patients from care that is intended to help them. We should really importantly be providing care that is effective. And we have to question how effective are many of our interventions and the practices we have. But also this should be effective in terms of also avoiding underuse or misuse 
of such interventions. And the third on their list, and these are not in a priority order, is that healthcare quality should be patient-centered. That is care that is respectful of and responsive to individual patient preferences, needs, and values, and ensuring therefore that patient values guide all clinical decisions. This care should be timely, it should be efficient, and it should be equitable. And we know that unfortunately, it may depend on where you are, may depend on your own personal resources as to how equitable sometimes that care is. So in terms of wound care, and I say we keep this lens in our mind when we talk about it, some of the symptoms and experiences that are associated with a chronic wound include the physical impact to the patient, the social impact, and the psychological impact. And these are all integrated within what person-centered care is. When we talk and when there's a lot of discourse around person-centered care, and indeed there are many eminent authors on this particular topic, but it's often put that the patient should be the front of our decisions. The patient should be to the fore. And indeed they should be. But person-centered care argues that they should be in the center of our decisions. They should not be on the periphery. And as clinicians, primarily, we consider that we do deliver person-centered care. And I have no doubt that many of us do. But it's not just merely that, and not even merely, but it's not just that issue of keeping the patient to the center. It is wider than that. The World Health Organization called it a paradigm shift towards an approach where people have the education and support they need to make decisions and participate in their own care. And that's two critical words in there, that they have the education and the support. They could be social support, financial support, health service support, and so on. It's based on people's needs and expectations rather than on disease. And the approaches and practice that consider the person as a whole with many levels of needs and goals and these coming from their own personal social determinants of health. That's a big ask, but at least we have something that we can aspire to. So how does it differ from other concepts? Well, compliance is the willingness to follow or consent to the wishes of another. Adherence is the decision to accept, to reject, or to modify one's treatment. And concordance, which is the lovely, you know, nice term that is often put out, it is an agreement between the clinician and patient on the treatment plan. It's something that we aspire to, but it's not a term that we actually use that often as such. But in relation to person-centered care, the Picker Institute at Harvard Medical School have identified eight principles of person-centered care. And these were not defined as an academic exercise or by policymakers, but these were defined in consultation with people, with the patients, with the public. And just a, a word on it, like, do we use the term person-centered or patient-centered? Well, we've often asked our patient panels that very question, and we get two schools of thought on it. So I think either is right, it just depends on the context. But if we look at these principles in relation to wound care, we can see how we can start to look at person-centered care through that lens. People want access to care, particularly if you consider patients with recurrent wounds, such as venous leg ulcers, hydradenitis suprativa, 
patients know when a wound is about to break out or they know the early signs of when a wound has broken out. They do not want to be on a waiting list for review again. They want to be able to access the care that they believe they need at a time that they need it. People want not just information and education, but they want it in a format that they can understand and that they can access. This information should be free. And oftentimes in wound care, the resources that we have are not very widespread. The European Wound Management Association is doing some work in this in terms of providing patient education. But what resources can we direct people to? They want coordination and integration of care. So, for example, medical records, are there separate medical records, depending on whether it's through dermatology department, through their GP practice, through their hospital practice, and so on. So are there various sets of notes? How integrated is the care? How integrated is the coordination of that care? Emotional support is one that comes up again and again. And it's one that I think perhaps we all know, but maybe we don't stop, step back to think about. We as wound care practitioners have no problem looking at photographs or of wounds or looking at wounds of individual patients. We have to remember that for the patient, this can often represent a body which is not of the way they would like. It's an unbounded body is a term that has been uh, put forward by patients. It's a body that can no longer be trusted, a body that has let them down. Some can find wounds repulsive some carers, family support that we often think can help in terms of management of wounds, they too may find this uh, very, very difficult. So the support that they need can be in terms of coping with the wound physically and also what the wound implies. The involvement of family and friends is again in terms of emotional support, but also in terms of education, resources. Family and friends are often uh, responsible for medical appointments, uh, other types of, of supports to patients. Physical comfort could be through beds, appliances, mattresses, and so on. Person-centeredness should respect patients' preferences, and they very much want a continuity and transition of care between one service and another. The European Wound Management Association, as I said, has published a document on evidence for person-centered care in chronic wounds. And I would advise you to look at this as a resource that may be of, of particular use to you. Following up from that document is another one which looks at impact of patient health and lifestyle factors on wound healing. And this brings us to the issue of assessing the patient. These factors include stress, sleep, smoking, alcohol, common medications, illicit drug use, physical activity and nutrition. And these areas were not picked arbitrarily. These were picked based on these being the most uh, prevalent risk factors and modifiable risk factors in most cases as risk factors for communicable diseases, which are the major cause of death amongst adults. So, how prevalent is the whole issue in relation to wounds? And many of you are, you know, we look at the prevalence of wounds overall, but it's worth just taking a minute to step back and look at just how prevalent this issue is. So the world population has increased from about 2.5 billion in 1950 to 7.3 in 2015. And assuming median fertility, 
This population might reach about 9.7 billion by 2050. And this is largely driven by increase in population in Asia, and particularly Africa. So if we bring it back to the EU itself, the total population of the EU 28 countries was projected to increase from 505 to 510 million by 2030. That's only seven years away. And the age structure of those over 65 will increase from 19 to 30% by 2050. And this has implications in so many areas of healthcare, but particularly in relation to wound care. So if we take the premise that 40% of, or sorry, 4% of people over the age of 65 have a venous leg ulcer or are affected by venous leg ulcers, how many citizens of the EU over 65 would have a leg ulcer? And what would be the projection for 2030, as I say, in seven years? Now, we don't quite have uh, time to do all the math. So just to help you along, this would work out that 4% of the projected pre uh, population by 2030 would be 6,120,000, an increase from 383,000. That is a phenomenal number of people within the European Union alone, affected by venous leg ulcers alone, not taking account of the increase in prevalence of diabetic foot ulcers um, and other uh, chronic wounds such as pressure ulcers and so on. So just staying with leg ulcers for a few minutes, we looked at the literature on the profile of people with venous leg ulcers. And we looked at all sorts of prevalence data from right across the world. And we found just a few of the key findings in terms of putting a picture on uh, the population that we are dealing with. The age in Asia was about on average 47 years, whereas in Europe about 69 years. 69 years is not old. The age of retirement in many countries is up at 67 years. So this is a young population. Ulcer size is on average 25 to 30 centimeters square. And the average duration of an ulcer goes from just over a year in Europe to about 65 months in South America, arguably due to various uh, differences in resources and the structure of services. In all of the studies we identified where mental health was reported, those patients with chronic wounds had poorer mental health than their age sex matched counterparts. These were measured often using various scales, so you could not group it all together, but there was a common thread here. In terms of mobility, and these are just venous leg ulcers. Interestingly, almost everybody could walk unaided, which is good in terms of mobility and exercise being a factor to promote healing. But just over half have high blood pressure about one in every five of diabetes. And the point of raising this is that when we're talking about people with chronic wounds and we're talking about the wound itself and wound assessment, we are talking about a, a group of individuals with complex healthcare needs because fit and healthy people do not get chronic wounds. There is always at least one underlying comorbidity and at least one underlying factor that is affecting healing. Add to that medications and how these may affect healing and add to that all sorts of other factors such as environmental factors, age, and so on. And it, I often think of a wound 
like an island. Now, I don't want to sort of slog a metaphor to death here, but if you think about an island, it's affected by what's around it and it's affected also by what's under it. If you really want to go, you can, it can be affected by weather, wind, water, so on. So when we look on the left, when we talk about wound assessment, the wound is assessed as part of assessing the surrounding area. We'll look at that very soon, which is in part uh, assessed, including patient intrinsic factors. Then we look at patient assessment, and then we look at the environment of which the patient has been managed. And this could include their social environment, but it can also include their healthcare system. So the wound assessment may be the center of the bullseye that we talk about. And oftentimes I'm focused on the wound, but all of these other factors are going to influence what the wound itself looks like. And it will influence healing and the risk of healing and the risk of further deterioration. So moving into that area of assessment, how do we prepare the wound to heal? And there's much written around the concept of wound bed preparation, but I just saw a very recent article from Gary Sibold and colleagues in 2021, and they looked at this again in terms of updated recommendations. And what's lovely with the approach that they take is that they start about a person with a chronic wound. So if you're talking about your person-centered care, this is a person with a chronic wound. Identify and treat the cause of wound. Identify the patient of family-centered concerns. Determine the ability to heal. Then you move on to local wound care, which includes debridement, inflammation, infection, moisture balance, and then the edge effect. And they have a list of 10 recommendations, two of which I'll just try and focus on more so in this uh, time remaining in this presentation. To treat the cause. We need to identify the cause and treat the cause, whether that is pressure, moisture associated skin damage, uh, medical device related injury, venous hypertension, and so on. Many clinicians now, in terms of continuing to see patients, start the consultations in a different way. And it's a very lovely way of really emphasizing patient-centered concerns. And the question is, what are your concerns today? What do you need help with? And it completely flips our focus from what we want to assess to what the patients want us to do. Determine the ability to heal. Is it possible or not? Then looking at local wound care management, debridement when indicated, assessing for the treatment of infection, which uh, Terry will look at, moisture management, evaluating the rate of healing, so ongoing wound measurement, and looking at the edge of the wound as an indicator of wound status, and followed by organizational support. So wound assessment helps us in terms of planning, monitoring, justification for interventions, and also in terms of enhanced communication. But wound assessment or wound bed assessment is fraught with I suppose, a long-standing difficulty in that it is subjective primarily. We are using visual inspection and there, therefore we rely on descriptors to tell us what the wound is like. We have very little by way of objective methods, apart, for example, from wound size, which is cheap, available to everybody, easy to access. More and more of it, the interventions for wound assessment require technology 
and arguably that requires money and resources and is not widely acceptable to or accessible to everybody. Caroline Dowsett and colleagues looked at the triangle of wound assessment. They say you need to assess the wound bed, the wound edge, and the surrounding skin. And I'll give you some examples of how we might address that. So in looking at this particular patient, and just to emphasize the photos are for education purposes and provide it with permission. If I block out the center of the wound, it forces us straight away to look around the wound. What can we see? What can we tell about how this wound is likely to be? And if we look at this, you can see these satellite images that are breaking out on the right hand side. You see this very dry, flaky skin build up of, uh, between varicose eczema uh, and the dryness from, from prolonged bandaging as well. And then you see this fragile periwound area. Also along the top, you can see varicosities. And again, you see more of these satellite lesions. This, by the way, is a patient who has venous hypertension, long-standing chronic venous leg ulceration. So if we look then to the wound itself, one of the questions it brings us to is where is the edge of the wound? So in looking at this, in some parts, we can see where an edge is. We can see along the top, there is an edge, but it starts to blend into the wound itself. Look here around the bottom, it's blending into the wound. So the edge of this wound is not well-defined. Within the wound bed itself, you can see fibrinous tissue that is laid down. You do see this shiny reflection, but that, that is more reflection of the camera than uh, what is on the wound. And then you see this bright red, very, very friable tissue. So does this wound has the, have the potential to heal? It does, but it requires a renewed approach to the healing of this wound. When we, as I say, when we look at it here, the edge is not well-defined. In a healing wound, this edge should be much more well-defined and you will see areas of epithelial edge advancement. This is not evident in this particular wound. If we look by contrast to this uh, wound, and this is a patient who has, this is a person with diabetes, he also had a stroke, and this is a heal ulcer. So what we can see with this, there is no area of surrounding erythema. There is no signs of infection in this wound, yet you have this buildup of this thick, tenacious slough that's here. But if we look at the edge of this wound, you can see how well-defined it is. And if you look down along the left-hand side here, you can see this healthy tissue that is, even though there is all the slough, it is actually merging into the wound itself here. In the case like this, the treatment should be actually uh, to protect the good uh, skin that is there, the good tissue that is there in the form of granulation tissue around the top. And then to, the removal of this slough is not warranted at this point because unless, sorry, it is not warranted at this point. This per person has severe peripheral arterial disease. To remove this slough, particularly by a scalpel, would open up a wound that this site is not able to cope with, and you would get a rebound necrosis. In this case, the main priority is to manage the exudate, which seems to be well managed. There is no indication of um, maceration or anything around the skin. Protect the underlying tissue here and monitor for any signs of infection.
In this case, you can see again, a very, very different wound edge. And without being any form of an expert, one would know that this wound is not in a good state. The edge here on the right-hand side, you can see there's this purplish hue to the edge. You can also see that the, the tissue here is quite, it's this dark, dull red. This is one of the difficulties with color. I said earlier, a bright red, then you have a good red granulation tissue. This is not a good way to be describing something, but this is what we have. You see this dull red tissue. The entire wound bed is covered in this fibrinous tissue, but it is not slough. Up at the top on the your left hand side you can see the edge again you can see it's quite ragged and then down at the bottom here again you can while well, you can define the edge of the wound but you can see that it's very very thin what i can tell you is that this patient had rheumatoid arthritis and her wound would get very very large very quickly when she would have a flare-up of rheumatoid arthritis so much of this deterioration is due to the rheumatoid arthritis and the drug therapy that she is on. Is it healable? Yes. How would you manage this? Managing exudate from the wound, which is quite uh, large, and then management of the inflammation around the, the wound and management of local wound infection. This is a patient with, I suppose, a more, if you like, regular uh, venous leg ulcer, if there is such a thing. So in this, you can see there is no sign of infection, no sign of inflammation around the wound. The wound bed itself, you see this almost like a bubbly granulation tissue. This is good granulation tissue. And you can see this lovely, well-defined wound edge, but it is not inflamed. It's not sloping right into the wound itself. There is some fibrous tissue here, but there is no buildup of slough. Manage simple dressing to protect this um, tissue and management of wound exudate. In all of these cases, I would say that adequate wound cleansing is so important, using a good irrigation fluid to cleanse the wound. In some cases, regular tap water that is drinkable is also acceptable. And finally, just to look at perhaps a, another example of wound assessment and uh, how we might uh, manage it. This uh, unfortunate lady had this very extensive venous leg ulceration. We talk about social circumstances, the environment that people live in. Is this healable? Yes. Will it take a long time? Yes. But in this particular patient, the likelihood of healing is very, very small. And that is primarily due to many social circumstances, but also due to multiple underlying comorbidities. But what you can see in this, if you look at the wound edge and the arrow on the left, you see this very, very fragile, friable wound edge. You can see how it's starting to extend up here. Underneath this, you've got this very, very delicate inflamed uh, tissue. You come down to the right hand side here to the second arrow, and you can see these areas of new islands of epithelial, that have, uh, epithelial tissue that are popping up, indicating the wound healing is actually occurring. But if we move down around here to the ankle, you see this huge buildup of pseudomonas. You see maceration, inflammation. And what's happening here really is that there's copious exudate from the, from the wound, but it is pouring down and gathering here around the ankle. So the treatment here is to treat any underlying infection, irrigation to reduce the bacterial burden, and then extra, extra um 
uh, moisture absorbing dressings down here around the ankle with protection of the peri wound area from this maceration and fairly regular uh, wound dressings as regular as is possible. Simple, you know, just changing these absorbent pads to actually soak up all of this exudate. The patient is suitable for compression, but refuses compression therapy. Um, but you can see in terms of assessment, the edge is varies throughout the wound. And this is one of the challenges with wound care is that the wound is not a uniform island. It is different depending on where in the wound we actually focus. And this other uh, patient, this is a much more obvious uh, in terms of there is an infection, but there is also this huge uh, maceration of the peri-wound skin due to excessive moisture from the wound. There is a buildup of slough and fibrin. Again, we can see the edge, very, very friable, not well-defined, defined in places, but inflamed. And in this case, again, gentle irrigation to clean the, the wound bed, to reduce the bacterial burden, really good protection of the peri-wound skin, and then very adequate moisture control. In the case of uh, compression therapy, this should be held off until the infection has resolved. In terms of protecting the peri-wound area, protect it from moisture-associated skin damage, try to clean with hypoallergenic, not non-irritating products, avoid products containing preservatives, tepid water only if it's used, no rinse products are often the best, and then gentle drying of the skin Consider dressings that protect the peri-wound area and then skin protectant products as well. So in summary, wound bed preparation and therefore wound assessment involves patient assessment, assessment of the etiology of the wound, healing assessment and wound bed assessment.